right, everyone. Welcome to episode 11 of the Backyard Banter Podcast. I feel like 10, once you cross 10, that's kind of like a threshold that maybe this thing is actually going kind of well. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we've got a great show today, great guest on tap. But before we get to that, I have to uh, tell you that today's podcast is sponsored, brought to you by realitysportsonline.com, a powerful fantasy platform that lets you manage your fantasy team like a real-life NFL general manager. Manager. You can use the promo code BYB10 for 10% off the platform fee when you sign up. That's BYB followed by the numbers 1 and 0. So now that we have that out of the way, I can introduce to you a great guest today. Uh, it's, it's Mark Schofield from Inside the Pylon. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks for having me. And I got to say, you nailed that read. Your first read, you just crushed it. Uh, yeah, I joke a lot on the podcast about how I'm essentially like the, a very raw host and this is like i'm normally in the uh the other chair like if somebody's asking me questions and now i'm doing this whole thing so this was a big a big a big test point today so i'm glad you got to be here for it no i'm happy to be here i mean it's a big moment i feel very privileged and honored to be part of that <laughs> so how you been man the show is great i love it yeah, it's been it's been good. Uh, the show has been fun, and I'm putting a little more, you know, into it. Obviously, now we've got like a sponsorship thing that you know, there's a new mic and everything. The only no. thing I'm not doing is like putting any any thought into my personal appearance for the video segment. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> more people are listening than watching again, watching anyways. But Mark, I have to say, like of all the guests, and I'm this is why I'm really excited to talk to you today. Like of all the guests that I've had on so far, I feel like I'm least familiar with your background your story um and i know like we started following each other somewhat you know in the last probably in the last year or something like i saw you doing some projects with matt walden and now you're doing a lot more with inside the pylon so i really want to like kind of dig into to who the hell is mark schofield like how did you get to where you are now and like so kind of but of course i always ask first like how did you, you know, fall in love with uh, with the game of football and everything like that? Let's start off there. Yeah, and I mean, for me, it was really playing the game starting at a young age. I mean, I was a kid growing up in the Boston area in the like mid to late 80s, and I wanted to play hockey. I mean, hockey was still kind of big in the Boston area. The Patriots weren't really good at that time. Nobody really wanted to play football. I was growing up in a family. My dad played hockey in high school. He coached hockey, coached some of my you know, other family members, my cousins and my juniors. And I was like, I want to play hockey. I want to play hockey. And, you know, being Bruins fans and fans of Bobby Orr, my dad's like, no, no, you're going to blow your knees out. You're going to be hurt. You're not, not going to be able to walk when you're 40. So you're not going to play hockey. I was like, well, can I play football then? They're like, oh, okay, go. You can go play football. And I tease them about it now. And I like, I'm like, oh, my back is killing me. My knees are killing me. Thanks for letting me play football instead of hockey, guys. That that was a great decision. But I started playing Pop Warner when I was nine. And, I mean, the very first play, my very first game, I was a running back and, you know, quick, you know, run inside and spun off the linebacker for a five-yard gain. And I was hooked from that moment. I mean, it just fell in love with the game and realized early at that same time that I wanted to play quarterback. Like, I wanted to be that guy. I mean, I saw quarterbacks on TV. I was in the huddle with a quarterback. I'm like, I want to be that guy. So that next season, I like, I got a book by Ken Anderson, The Art of Quarterbacking, which is literally like five feet away from me. I still refer to it and learned how to play quarterback and did the drills and became a quarterback the next season and played quarterback really all through up until college and played all four years in college. Um, played at a high school that I was lucky enough to, you know, play a lot. Um, got recruited to play by a number of different schools, including some Division One AA schools, some 
you know, more well-known Division three schools, but decided that, look, I just still wanted to play. I mean, I wasn't going to play it you know, Dartmouth or Georgetown. I wasn't going to see the field. I mean, USC, if you want to know how much money these schools have, USC sent me a recruiting packet to say, hey, send us some tape. We like what you're doing. I hadn't really played any varsity snaps yet, Mm. but USC just had that amount of money where they could do that and they could just send this money to everybody. So I got one of those. I literally like hunted on my wall when I was at home. Like I was like, oh, this is hilarious. I just thought it was a joke, but Ended up playing at Wesleyan University, a small Division three school, and played all four years there and just really sort of continued that love of the game, number one. And in the work that I'm doing now, sort of a love of how the plays come together, how the game works on the field, and sort of watching tape and breaking down film. And that's something that kind of started back when I was playing in Pop Warner. My dad being the coach that he is, wanted to be on the sideline and sort of critiquing my game during the games. I'm like, you can't do this. So he got a video recorder, sat up in the press box and taped the games. And then we'd start on the weekends after the game, kind of going through them and, you know, watching them initially just for fun. But then I started noticing things and that just sort of continued. So that's, you know, my quick elevator answer on sort of how I got the sickness. Beautiful. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't know um, that we've had, we definitely have not had anybody on the show yet that's played football at the highest level. Well, the second highest level, like college football, like that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I knew that was part of your background. And cause that's, I think that's how I first found you on Twitter was like doing a, a quarterback breakdown with Matt Waldman in the yeah. RSB film room, which of course is a great series. If you haven't, if nobody's checked that out, it, you're listening, it's a, it's a really good uh, way to learn the game completely for free and just pick things up that way. Um, I'm not, I'm not sponsored to say that. I'm just telling you that because I mean it. Uh, <laughs> but so, Mark, like, what comes next for you? Obviously, you, you, done, you didn't go from college football to the NFL. So what, what were you doing after, like, post-college and before where you are now? No, I mean, my path to this is kind of different. And it, it mirrors, in a way, Sigmund and Matt, their paths to where they are now. I mean, when I was in college, I was in a major that was basically, like, easiest way to describe it was like a quad major of history, government, philosophy, and economics. And it was its own little college at Wesleyan. And basically our class structure was you read a book, you write a paper, and you defend it that Friday in class. And it was the only class you had. And I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do. It gets to be junior year in college. I don't know what I want to do. And this is this sort of major. It's like, well, I guess I'll go to law school. And so that's what I did. I was like, I don't know what I want to do. This seems to make sense. Other people have done it. So I'll go to law school. And I went to law school at William & Mary. And Oh, nice. That's my neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. Down in Williamsburg. Uh, got to spend three years down there. Spent more time probably at Bush Gardens than, you know, the classroom <laughs> or things like that. And that's another story we can perhaps get into. But, you know, graduated law school in May of 2002. And, you know, the job market wasn't exactly the strongest job market in the world at that time because, you know, of the aftermath of 9-11. I mean, I remember being in New York City and in the Times Square area, August of 2001, interviewing with firms, going to these like legal job seminars, trying to line something up for after graduation. And then a month later, those firms, their offices are gone. They're literally gone. So coming out of that class, um, didn't have a job lined up after law school, but I had something lined up because the best decision I probably made at William and Mary was that first sort of month of school, my first year, I went to see about a girl and Mm. met a girl and we're now married 16 years later. And we started like dating that October. And so together her and I, neither one of us had a job. So we moved to DC, sat for the Maryland bar exam, passed the bar and started to 
sort of a work our way through the industry. Um, so that was my path after college and law school. I started out as a lawyer. My first job in the sort of the DC area, my first real law school job, law job, I was, it was just me and another lawyer and we were like the in-house attorneys for three insurance companies that just insured taxi cabs in the DC area. It was an office on Benin Road by RFK Stadium, which if you know the area, it's not a place you want to be at night. Like we would literally close the office based upon daylight. Like if wow. it was dark at 4.30, we closed so like people could get home. And it wasn't a glamorous way to start my career, but I moved up and moved up and moved up. And eventually, like say, you know, 2011, I was at big law firm, downtown DC office, offices sort of all over the East Coast. And you'd think, oh, this is a guy that's finally gotten to where he wanted to be. I was miserable. Hmm. I mean, I was absolutely miserable and not in the sense that like, like you talked about with Stoner on his episode, like, you know, sometimes you're in a job and whatever it is, your job sucks and you don't want to be there. And there are days where you just, like you said, you'd rather be on a beach drinking beers than in the <laughs> office. But, yeah. you know, every job has that element. So there was that, but there was other components to it. I mean, civil lit litigation, it's an adversarial process where the person on the other side is trying to kick your ass and that's what they're doing. And I had been doing that for 10 years and, I was in this cycle where you'd go to a new job and you crush it for the first like six months. Like that was me. And you Stoner mentioned that in sort of his path too. And then I'd get more work and I'd try to impress people and try to work harder and I'd get in over my head and I'd be overwhelmed. And then the anxiety and the other mental component here, which I'll fully talk about, like I was dealing with severe anxiety, like in depression and struggling with it. And, getting help for it and talking to people and it wasn't working and I needed to get out of it. I, it just wasn't healthy. The, the law profession and my brain with the way it works, it just wasn't a good mix. I mean, there were times when I, that summer of 2013 where I'd be on, the, you know, we'd be home from dinner. You've got one son, one child, he's two, he's playing on the floor. We've got like 30 minutes to spend time with him. After the day, my wife, she's a partner in a law firm. She's pregnant with our second child. They're on the floor. They're playing. And I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm just like furiously refreshing my email because I'm so worried that I'm going to get something about work that's going to be mm. even more nerve-wracking. But I want to get it. I want to see it. And, you know, Matt, my life is like eight feet behind the phone, and I'm ignoring it. So I'm yeah. like, look, I, I got to get out of this. And I did. And, you know, I left the firm. And you know, they recognized what I was dealing with and knew that I wasn't happy. So I got some time and they gave me a nice little going away present, which I'll forever be grateful for. So it got me some time to figure out what it is I wanted to do. But now I had to figure that out. And, you know, I jump in, I've been rambling for a bit, but, you know, spend that forward a year and I've gone to interviews with other law firms and other like non-for-profits in the DC area. And I'm like, look, I can't practice law anymore. Every time I do this, it's good for about a year and a half. And then I get to this point and the definition of insanity, it's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. It's not going to be different. So I got to do something different. And that's when I was like, what is it going to be? And I had the idea that, look, I love football. I love to write. And I've had this book that this fiction book about college football that I've started and stopped and started and stopped. And I want to do that. So Summer of 2004, I'm like, I'm done practicing law. I'm going to write. So that's when I made that decision. But then 
inside the pylon, the idea for that kind of fell into my lap. And well, before we before we jump, I'm going to jump in there sure. uh, before we get to kind of that part of the story because it's just really interesting. Like, and I think that's you know, like leaving. And we talked about that with Matthew Barry as well, and and even Liz Loza a little bit just on the yeah. most recent episode. Like leaving this career path that you have worked so hard for, but you just feel like shit while you're doing yeah. it, and it's it's a hard. I feel like I I, I personally I've never had to uh, deal with that because it was like my my lack of interest in my day job that made me want to get into football and kind of pushed me into that. So it's a different experience from mine, but I think it's really interesting. And also like, I kind of want to hit on like, you know, what, what was like the, you know, what was like the public reception to that? Cause I would imagine that like, you know, being a lawyer is a pretty, I mean, I feel like it's a pretty cush job as far as like, yeah. you know, like when you get work and you probably make, you probably make more money than I do at my current job right now, or, or especially my job before this. And <laughs> yeah. so like, what are, you know, what are like, what was the reception like from either your family, your friends, or just like people in general? I mean, I'm incredibly lucky in that, you know, obviously it starts with my wife. I mean, I'm incredibly lucky that, you know, I mean, she could see it in me, like the toll that, you know, the mental fatigue that was, that was wearing on me. I mean, she could tell that, you know, this wasn't what I wanted. And so she's been incredibly supportive and I'm incredibly lucky for the like, you know, foundation around me that I'm able to, I was able to step away from that, that there wasn't a, you know, a need to go right back in to get another law job because of, you know, the work put in and the the decade of practice in law prior to that. And the fact that, you know, I wasn't a good lawyer. She's a great lawyer. Like she can do the job and they can handle it and can come home and, you know, sort of divorce herself from the day to day where I just couldn't, that, that wasn't the way my mind works. So from her, from my parents, from my in-laws, like they've all been incredibly supportive. Now, in the legal community at large, I mean, there are definitely sort of, you know, strange looks. I mean, I still, I'm still licensed, so I still have to go to legal seminars to keep my bar status, you know, active. And I have to continually go to like legal um, education seminars and people, you have to, you know, go around the room and say who you are and where you work and you hear, you know, I'm Joe so-and-so, I'm at, you know, the firm of Ben Jarvis, Green Ellis or whatever. And, you know, I'm, you know, so-and-so, I'm a, you know, state's attorney and, Hi, I'm Mark Schofield. I write about football now. And then, you know, every eye is suddenly on me now because people are like, wait, what? what? That's the, the craziest thing I've ever heard. So, I mean, in the professional world, it's been a little bit different. But, you know, like I said, I'm so lucky that my wife and my family have been like, they could see it. They could see that I wasn't happy and I needed a break from that. I needed to do something different. Yeah. And it really does. Like that matters so much to have the support yeah. of your, uh, of your, of your loved ones around you. Like, I mean, obviously you and I are, you know, a little bit different age wise. Like I, when I decided that I was going to pursue this as, as hard as I could, like, I mean, I was single, I still am single. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was single. I'm not married. We could fix that people. We could fix that. I'd rather you not. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to, if you're listening at home and you're, you're a single female, you don't want to go down this road. There's just, <laughs> there's nothing but I'm just trying that. Um, um, I, I appreciate that. But, um, you know, so going back to like, my, like my story, you know, it, uh, like when I like told my dad, uh, he and I were kind of both in like tumultuous points in our lives when I, when, when this kind of all went down, I was like, 
you know, I was like, dad, I, cause I, my plan was, and I've mentioned this before, like I wanted to go back to school to get a PhD in sociology and like can finish all this research that I started as an undergrad. And like, you know, I was well on the path to like doing that. And I just decided, I was like, I don't know. I want to try like, like I'm young. This is the only time I'm going to have to be able to do this football thing. Like it was just what my heart was speaking to me at the time. Like, this is what you need to do. And so I told my dad that and he's like, just do it. Just do it. Like having this. So like my my point in saying that is like having the support of people in your life, like your, your closest people, like there are always going to be those that, that doubt you. And right. like you mentioned, in the professional world, it's a little harder. And, not, you know, there were certainly people I told at the time that did not understand. But like when you have the support of those closest to you, it really is a, is a huge boost. Like, I don't know. I mean, they know you best. So yeah. if, and if they support you, it matters. It matters a huge deal. And they're, they're the people that will know. And, you know, you get one drive. You get one game in the game of life. Like, this is it. Yeah. And I could have – you know, tried to make it work in the legal career and like gone through the motions of the day to day and tried to make it struggle. But, you know, you could spin that image of me locked into my phone with the rest of my life happening behind me and spin that for 10 years. And where does that go? I mean, it could have taken a really bad turn for me. So, you know, the decision to step away from that has, you know, it's improved the like quality of life at home around me you know, in ways that I can't even describe. It's made it just that much better around me because, you know, I'm not tied to my phone panic stricken every single moment that I'm home with my family. I'm not like I can log off Twitter and the war. I don't need to be plugged into it 24 hours a day. Like I don't need to be furiously sitting there refreshing it. I can go step away from that for a bit, but because the anxiety there, it isn't all consuming like it was in that past life of mine. Yeah. And, and, and coming back to that point about like the people around you, like they will bet, like they will benefit if it, like, if it works, you know, like you you mentioned, you know, that that there was obviously stress in your, in your personal or in your professional life and it's affecting your personal life. So they want out of that as much as, as much as you do. But those are also the people that like, and it's why it's so important to have that support system. Like if you're going to go down this path, because those are the people that are going to have to accept the consequences of your choice right you know good and bad because like there are plenty of times that you know while chasing this this thing like and i kind of mentioned this with liz last time like there are plenty of times where like i missed stuff or like i my my you know i had to tell friends like you know no i have to finish i have to finish this project like so i can't go out with you guys tonight or like you know you know, like when it, when I'm making hard choices about like finishing content and like all that sort of stuff, like, like I mentioned my dad, like when I, if I was to fail, like he would have had to be the person that, you know, that caught me. And, you know, like in that sort of sense, like same way that if, you know, if if things didn't work out with your decision, like obviously they have, but like if they hadn't, your family's the one that has to like take that on. So it's, it's just really crucial to have that in my opinion. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly like, you know, asking my wife, like, is this, is this still okay? Because, you know, I like to tell people, look, I'm on a year to year Sam Bradford, like prove it type deal. (laughs) And that's kind of how I'm approaching this. Cause you know, it's, it's a risk. I mean, obviously when you go out there and you start a website and just put yourself out there, like it's not like sitcoms at LAX, like they're not just cutting checks and handing them to people when you start a football website. I mean, there's no safety net below you. So, you know, I was in a position, thankfully, and I still am in a position where I don't need to go out and duplicate the salary that I had when I left the law profession. Now, 
the trade-off has been huge. You know, the other stuff has been huge and it's more than made up for, you know, that difference in, you know, money. I mean, we all need to make money. We all have bills to pay, but you know, what good is it to just pay the bills if you can't enjoy what you're paying for? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember like kind of, I think when, uh, I think it was, I was, I don't know why I was thinking about this this morning, but like, I think when Robin Williams, you know, uh, committed suicide. I think that was now almost two years ago. Now, yeah. no, not two years ago. It was less than that. Um, I don't know. I have no sense of time. Um, but it, it, like about a year ago, he was. You know, it was really one of those things that kind of I think jarred the national conversation at least for a moment. That like, wow, maybe success isn't really all about you know money right. or how many people like you or or that. It's about like being in touch with who you are as a person and like enjoying your day to day life and like just so much more than just your success. And so I think yours is a really good story about that as well. I think that, you know, despite the fact like you're in a, a job that a lot of people would want, you know, or theoretically think they want, you know, it's, it's, it's about more than that. Yeah. And you know, if you think about Robert Williams or anybody else that has a job or is in a situation where you might look to that person and think, Oh man, they've, on paper, they've got everything. Well, everybody's struggling in some way, you know, more often than not. And, you know, there are people out there that, you know, obviously can be successful lawyers and have a great career and practice for decades. Um, And I wish them all the best, but I learned after 10 years of like beating my head against the wall and going through the same cycle that it just, for the way I'm wired and the way my head was built, like it just wasn't for me. And I got out and, you know, Sigmund talked about, you know, that horrific car accident where it was like the sign that, look, you know, maybe I need to be doing something else. And for me, it was that moment on the couch, just watching my life go behind me where I'm just like, forget it. You know, I need to, I need to make a move. So I did. No doubt about it. So let's get into that move. Like, so what was the springboard to inside the pylon? Well, I mean, Stoner talked about message boards. Sigmund talked about message boards inside the pylon as you see it now, it was born back in like 2004, 2005, 2006 on a message board on the sonsofsamhorn.net message board, which is a Boston Red Sox based community, which dates back to you know, 1999. I mean, it's been around for a very long time. It's got a massive membership. I mean, and it's really well regarded in the baseball community. I mean, if you remember when Kurt Schilling signed with the Red Sox, that Thanksgiving trip where he was visited by, you know, Mark, I don't remember anything that happened. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand. I hear that, but to fill the, to fill in that blank, I mean, when Theo Epstein and the Red Sox management went to visit Kurt Schilling and sell him on the Red Sox on Thanksgiving, 2003, that night he logged on and got on, sons of Sam Horn and like talk to fans and like got in depth on like fly ball ratios at Fenway park and stuff like that. Like that's how good that community is, but you can't talk Red Sox baseball 365 days a year. There were other things people wanted to talk about. And one of them was football and being a Red Sox board. There are a lot of Patriots fans. And so if you think of the nucleus of inside the pile myself, Brian Philpack, Dave Archibald, Chuck Zotta, the stuff that we're doing on ITP, we've been doing for years in sort of the football section of that site, like breaking down plays, um, you know, breaking down coverages and schemes. And I would like break down the Patriots passing game from week to week. And so the summer of 2014, we thought, look, we've been doing this and this little contained, 
you know, message board, why not try it on our own, break away, do our own thing and go live and see if anybody actually wants to read it. And so that's what we did. And we just put ourselves out there. And that's a lot of the people that you've had on. I've talked about the importance of just start your own blog, start your, just put yourself out there and show yourself to the world. Because if you've got something that you can create, if you've got something you can put across, maybe somebody reads it. Maybe somebody then gives you that hand up from the upper tier, the tier above you, like Rami talked about, like that extends that hand down to you. And I've had a number of people do that with me and with inside the pylon. And we've gotten some breaks along the way, of course, which helps. Um, so that was how it kind of started. I mean, we went live after the week one games of the 2014 season and caught a number of breaks along the way. I mean, one of them first and foremost started as a branch off of a Red Sox site. We had a built-in Patriots readership base and they go on to win the Super Bowl. So we had stuff mm. to just break down and write about up until through the Super Bowl. We were like, this is great. We'll ride this crest. They win the Super Bowl. And then it's like, okay, what now? And that's when I got myself into the draft community. And that's when my head really kind of exploded. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the draft community is yeah. definitely, um, there's a lot going on there and there's a lot of interaction and uh, speaking of the draft community, I got to do another read here real quick. Uh, have you, <laughs> that's called a professional segue. That's uh, well for those of you listening at home. Although I think when you do a segue, you're not supposed to mention it. But that's all part of the irony. Have you ever wished you could be an NFL general manager? Well, of course you can. And now you can thanks to Reality Sports Online, a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an actual NFL general manager. Uh, Reality Sports Online was designed by former NFL front office personnel and features a revolutionary free agency auction room which mimics the actual free agency process enabling owners to compete against each other to negotiate and sign uh, to negotiate and with and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host up to 32 teams. That's a lot. And has tons of other cool features in addition to free agency like rookie drafts, multi-team trades, franchise tags, injured reserve, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much more. Seriously, like if you can tell, there's a lot going on there. And I, I actually play in a reality sports online league and i love it it's a ton of fun like there's nothing that comes closer to mimicking like being an actual gm and managing your own team so go ahead and test your general manager skills by visiting realitysportsonline.com participate in a free mock free agency auction draft today if you like what you see use the promo code byb10 to receive a 10 percent discount on your team or league today fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com so mark getting into your transition into the draft world like what did that what did that community do for your kind of your your career path here i mean you really want to talk about getting that hand out and that hand up and that lift up in this community i mean you know i mean i think sort of one of the many breaks that i've sort of had along this journey was um matt walton who you know, and he knows this, but I'll say it publicly. I mean, he's been, you know, one of the people that has really reached out to me and, you know, I can't thank him enough for how he's kind of, um, you know, lifted me up and pulled me up um, to have him on his shows and things like that. And I remember after the draft, when everybody kind of steps away from, okay, whew, it's now May, season's over, draft's over, we can kind of do whatever we want, do some different things. He has that RSP writer's 
uh, project each spring and summer where he, you know, puts together a cool little scenario and has different writers come on from the community and kind of challenge them with this scenario and write something about it. And I remember reading on his site um, last year's scenario, which is sort of like the football space jam where you've got pick one team from players from past, present, and, you know, assemble your team to beat a race of aliens. And I remember reading about that and at the bottom – um, there's this paragraph that says, look, if you think I missed you and you want to be included, or if you want to be included for a future, uh, project like this, just send me an email with some of your work and I'll take a look. And I remember like reading that and Hemin and Han, I'm like, look, he has no idea who I am. Um, clearly not the writer that he is or anything like that, but you know, maybe I should send him the email anyway. Maybe he'll read it. Maybe he'll critique my work or I could get included in the next one or, you know, he might say no, but that's the worst he can do. So put together an email, sent it to him with some writing samples, and I figured, oh, you know, I'll never hear back. And like an hour later, I get an email back from him saying, I want you in this one. Like, can you can you do it? Do you have the time? Because I really, you know, I like what you're doing. I like it. Like, can you, you know, be part of it? And I was blown away. I, you know, you probably don't remember ER. That was probably well before your time, but there's. I remember scene. my parents watching it and yeah, not yeah. being allowed, not being allowed to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I went to call when I was in college, a lot of my friends were like pre-med type. So like Thursday nights, like we'd stop what we were doing at like 10 o'clock and watch ER. But there's a scene in the opening credits where Eric LaSalle like performs some surgery and gets out of the OR and does like the full body, like fist pump. Well, that was me when I got that email back from Matt. I'm like, this is, I can't believe this has happened. I mean, this is, it's a huge opportunity. So, you know, that was kind of the first like instance where the community kind of welcomed me in. And it's been like that ever since. And, you know, all the guests that you've had on that have talked about the draft Twitter community. I mean, there, you know, there are times when you're like, wow, this is a crazy sort of group and environment and things are happening at a rapid pace. But at the same time, the like, promotional stuff that people do for other people's work. It's amazing. And Sigmund talked about it a lot. I mean, it's like, and coming from a world like the legal community where you don't ever want to promote somebody else's work because then they're going to steal your clients and you're going to have food taken off your table. Well, you know, if you read, you know, Matt Waldman's take on a quarterback, you're not signing a contract to read only Matt Waldman. You can still read my stuff too. And to see people constantly sharing and promoting other people's work. It's a great thing. And it's, you know, 180 degrees away from what I'm used to professionally, but I love seeing it. I, and I love sharing other people's stuff. And, you know, like said, we talked about, if you like what I'm doing and you trust what I'm doing, then if I share somebody else's stuff, you'll trust that too. And you'll read that as well. And there are enough people reading this stuff every day that we can all have people reading everything we put out there. Yeah, you made a couple of really good points there that I want to circle back on. And the first being like, uh, you know, just putting yourself out there to Waldman, like somebody that you respected and like kind of having that idea that, you know, the worst that he can do is say no. Because I think that's really it, but it's really intimidating when you're. It really is. Yeah, like especially when I was first starting out, you know, I was like, I was 22 years old. I was literally nobody. I, at least like you, at least you could say like, Hey, I, I used to play the game. I know a thing or two. <laughs> like for me, I was just another jackass, like on his couch. Now I'm still another jackass <laughs> on his couch. I just, I just have, day, that's what we all are. Yeah. Right. I just, I just happen to like have a job now, but <laughs> it's still, still the same thing, but, but it's really hard. And I remember like seeing opportunities out there and, 
being intimidated to like put, to just like send an email in or whatever. But you have like you got to get past that because yeah. it really is no big deal. And like and I got shot down by plenty of places like which is f- fun now to think about that like I've become successful. But there were plenty of times like starting out that I sent you know an application in somewhere like hey I'd like to write for you guys I'd like to do this for you that they're like no no thanks like right. no interest in you and that's fine because but it, you you know you got to use that you got to use it as fuel it's just, it's really an important thing that i think people don't that people get intimidated by like being turned down and all that yeah. but but if you had never done that mark like <coughs> what yeah, would I mean, we, we wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here right, right now. now i probably wouldn't like, that's exactly right i probably wouldn't be here right now i mean you know and matt's just one example of a number that i could probably reel off of people that have helped me up i mean dan hatman too i yeah. mean i signed up for the scout academy course last summer and took it just to study quarterbacks and you know i wanted to make sure that i was like looking for the right things i mean i, I hadn't really ever done sort of quarterback evaluations i mean i've done them you know on my own and then last year at inside the pollen i did it but i, wa- I want to make sure that i wasn't just talking out of my ass mm-hmm. so i signed up for that and i also did it as a way of sort of network and again i'm from a world where you know, you pass out business cards, you do things like that. So I wanted to sort of meet some people in the industry. And Dan was another guy that, you know, took a liking to my work and then sort of got into inside the pylon and saw what we were doing and saw that there was, you know, there's something there to what we're doing. And he was, you know, one of the guys sort of instrumental in the glossary series that we're doing, which came about completely by accident, helping us to like put see that there was some there was a need for it out there i mean you know the glossary thing kind of came about when we were breaking down plays and you could take the time to like define cover one cover three and all that stuff we were like why don't we save that and like do it as an a project on its own and it people dig it people like learning about that stuff so they like we like to joke that like look we want somebody to read us and then feel like they're the smartest guy at the end of the bar on Sunday afternoon when you know Troy Aikman's like look you know uh, Dallas just dropped into cover three buzz and they can be like yeah I know what that is and like tell yeah. all their friends like so. oh I say that all the time at work like yeah you know that because there's a lot of I mean frankly especially like in big media there's a lot of pushback to like while people won't say this like implicitly like dumb down your content and you know i in my opinion and i could be wrong and that's fine it happens a lot but i could be wrong but i think that like you said that that's really important because you know fans want to feel like they're the smartest guy in the room i want to feel like i'm the smartest guy in the room when it comes to like football like i would like yeah i would love like when i was before i like even was writing and i was just watching football like that's what made that's what made people tell me like you should start your own blog because like I could watch the game and be like I know what that I know that player I know what they're I know what the hell they're talking about and I think that's a really good I think the glossary thing is really good for that because also you see because analysts use that to their advantage too like to be yeah. honest you know they'll say something that like you know if your scouting report's just filled with jargon like it you know it's kind of like it becomes a piss measuring contest but like right. but it's so much better to be transparent with your readers yeah and you know. I mean, there are people out there that you could just like give them like lowest common denominator type stuff. And there's definitely a market for that, but there's definitely also a market for people that want to learn more about the game because, you know, like the Pat Kerwan, like, you know, don't watch the ball type series. There's so much that goes on on a single, on just one play of football that, you know, having played the game, like I might recognize or there's stuff that I miss. And you know, I get asked a lot, like, do you think like you need to have played the game to write about it? And my answer is always like, no, hell no. Like yeah. it, th- there's, 
like there are things that I can speak to having played quarterback where I can try to like put you in that moment of, you know, and I even did an article on this, like from like the end of one play to the end of the next, like what happens? And there's a lot that I can talk to, but that doesn't mean that like somebody that hasn't played the game can't write about it. If you've got a message and some content and a way of looking at it, that's different than somebody that's played, you know, put it out there. Like, I don't care if you've never taken a snap in your life or you've never set foot on a football field and you think I've got something I want to write, but what if people don't take me seriously? If you've done the work, people will take you seriously. And if people don't take you seriously because you didn't play the game, well then they're the idiot and not you. Yeah. That's as somebody that's never taken a snap in their life. (laughs) I hope that that's true. Uh, And another thing that you mentioned there in your original, in your original story about inside the pylon is like, you know, community and the welcoming of that. And I think one of the things you guys do really well, like is you have a ton of, I feel like you guys have a ton of writers, a ton of people that I know from like the draft Twitter community um, kind of, you know, contributing there. Why is that? Why is that important to to build that sort of community? You know, within within your own site, and then just in general with other people, like online. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that Inside the Pylon does really well is like our internal process. Like, one of the things when we first started, like we have an editorial process where every piece, whether it's myself or somebody that's brand new to the site, gets hit by multiple editors along the way. Like, we don't just like I don't just sit down and put together an article and just like sh- shove it live. Like everything gets edited so it's like we've built a community internally so like every piece gets different sets of eyes and then some different input on it and it's a collaborative process where you submit it it gets edited it comes back to you and you kind of like refine some things refine your argument a little bit and you need to have a group of people that you're working with that you trust that you trust to like turn yourself over to and to give you feedback and sometimes the feedback you're not going to like like I've had stuff where I've gotten it back and it's been like this, no, we can't, we can't put this up because it's just not, it's not really that good. And so you've got to have people around you that you trust. And so, you know, everybody that we've brought into the fold has, you know, really been open to that process and because it, you know, it will make them better and make them sort of a better writer. And, you know, we know for a lot of people that come and work with us, their ultimate goal might be something else. Like they don't always want to write for inside the pylon for the next 10 years of their life. And that's fine. I mean, we bring in young people and help to kind of cultivate what it is that they want to create, find themselves, find their voice and maybe move on. Um, but it's important to have that sort of trust and community aspect, even behind the scenes. I mean, out of all the like articles and stuff that we put up, there's tons of like chats and handouts and stuff that we have that never see the light of day where, you know, iron sharpens iron. I mean, we, we find arguments and come up with ideas and peace ideas and podcast ideas. I mean, the mock war room series that we're doing mm-hmm. with something that we fleshed out behind the scenes where we were like, look, let's try to do something a little bit differently and sort of piece it together that way. And then, make it better before it goes live. So, and I think that's another thing that's important to anybody that wants to sort of find their way in this industry is to have somebody that you can trust, not only for support and sort of that, like helping you out that way, but who can read what you write or like look at if you create videos or stuff and give you feedback, give, put on that shield and helmet and sword and like chop away at it and make you better because it will make you better and your stuff will be better as a result. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, that's, that's definitely <laughs> been, been my, 
my situation as well. Like I had people, you know, some people that weren't even football writers, just general people and, you know, look at like reception perception before I first published it or when I did first publish it and be like, okay, well tell me what you think about this or, you know, like, let me know, give me feedback. Like before I, and even just like, I remember, (laughs) I remember one night like tweeting out the charts, like back at the beginning, just like people had no idea what the hell was going to come of it. But I'm just like, look at this and tell me what you think about it. Like just re, you know, react to me, like react to this thing. And, and uh, it, it was really helpful. It helped me kind of know, what I wanted it to become, what it should become. And that's what it, you know, now it is what it is now. And and maybe someday that parts of that will change, but it's really important um, to have that sort of the people you can go back and forth with and like make, make sure it's somebody that you trust, like you said, and also like somebody that you can take their criticism and it won't hurt right. your feelings, you know, yeah, because that's because the hardest part. That is really the hardest part. I mean, I remember when I turned in my first thing for inside the pylon, um, Dave McCullough, who's our editor in chief, um, who does a great job for us. He was like, look, this is great. And he sends me the link back to the Google doc and it's just a sea of red. I mean, everything's completely yeah. marked up and I'm just like, <laughs> Oh my God, like, what, what am I doing here? And you, you feel awful at first and you're like, do I really want to do this? But then, you know, you start to realize that people like Dave and Phil and James and all the other guys at Inside the Pond that do the behind the scenes editing. I mean, the guys that worked on the book for me that did all that stuff. Um, it makes it so much better. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, we're not in the news breaking business. Like we're not yeah. you know, trying to beat Shefty and Mortensen and all those guys to free agent signings. Like there's no real rush to get it done. Our goal has always been like whatever we put up there, let's make sure it's just as good as we can make it. And, you know, we've got a team in place to do that. And, you know, I thank, you know, God every day for those guys because they make me look good, frankly. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, Mark, you mentioned your book and I want to talk about that for one, because it's important. And two, like <laughs> selfish, <laughs> two selfishly, because I actually do want to probably not even about football at some point, I want to actually publish a book as well. Um, but that's, topic for another day so selfishly i want to pick your brain on this but kind of walk me through the process of 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 publishing the book um it's it's 17 drives or what like i'm now this is yeah that's exactly right 17 okay good i was like i know i had that i had that pulled up like ready to read off i'm like oh you idiot you (laughs) no you got it no um well i mean i initially i I probably mentioned this earlier like i had this idea for a, a fiction book actually um that i'd started and stopped and started and stopped and you know, that was going to be what I was going to do in the football room when I was decided, look, I'm done with law. I'm going to finally write this book. And then the inside the pylon thing happened. So I put that back on the shelf, which I'm taking, spoiler alert, I'm taking off the shelf and I'm hoping to finish that this summer. Like that's hopefully book two. But book one, 17 Drives, was kind of born out of the work that I was doing on the site where, you know, I would break down a couple of drives each week from the pro and the college game. Like each player, the most the bulk of the plays from an X's and O's perspective and kind of try to give people the sense of how a drive comes together. Like the thought process, the play call and decision-making the plays that are good, that are bad, how the defense was a step earlier, a step late where they could have gotten off the field, but they didn't. Um, So early around in the season, like around September or so in one of our chats, like I was just talking about, there was the idea banded about, look, why don't we save the bigger drives from the college season break them down and put them together in book form and actually publish a book. Why don't we do that? So that was how the idea was kind of born. And 
you know, it's one of those things I wish I could have gotten a jump start on it, but you can't because had I started writing it in September, you'd have a lot of Ohio State, Michigan, and Baylor drives, which, you know, they didn't make it to the right. playoffs. So you had to kind of wait. Um, so around November, when you really got a good feel of, you know, who's going to make it to the playoffs and stuff is when I started just sitting down and going through the tape and breaking down each play of all of these drives and putting it together. And, you know, it, I, I'll say it took a ton of work, but not just from me. I mean, I had the editorial staff at Inside the Pylon was willing to help me go through each chapter, go through each play and, you know, edit it and put it together. And then Chuck Zotter did a great job kind of formatting it together into like book form to now where I literally have a book that people have actually bought, which I think is the craziest thing in this whole sort of story that people have actually bought it and read it and liked it. Yeah. No, that's really, it is definitely, I saw, I saw you tweeting about that a little while ago. Um, I've, I have not read the book disclaimer. I will, I will definitely I mean, look to, to get it at some point, but um, I have such a trial. Like the off season is really the only time I can actually. Yeah. I mean, that's things. just it. Like, everybody that, you know, in this great community of football media and football writers, everybody's like, yeah, I got it. I'll read it in June. Like, yes, I, mean, I sent it to that. Matt Waldman. I sent it to Waldman. He like sent me a message. He's like, thanks. Uh, I'll get to it in June. And yeah, right. Everybody's saying that, and I believe me, I understand it. So, hopefully, when everybody gets to it in June, they still like it. So, well, but, and it's, but it's really, like I said, it's really inspiring to me because that's something like that's one of my, you know, intermediate to long term goals is to publish books. And like I, like I said, I don't want to publish books about football. I want to, you know, well, I'll publish like reception, perception right. sort of publications, that sort of stuff. But I'm talking like a real book book. Like, yeah. so it was really cool for me to see you do that. Like, and if you want to check out Mark's book, like it's pinned on your, on your, uh, on your Twitter profile, which is uh, at Mark Schofield, just like it's spelled, you know, on the podcast here. De it's, it's pinned on your profile right there. Definitely check it out. It's 318 pages. It looks like that's a lot of, that seems like a lot of pages. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, but the thing about the way it's kind of structured is like each play gets like multiple diagrams. So you get like, yeah. you know, the pre-snap for alignment of offense and defense, like the play art, like the play flow of how it comes together. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it took a while. I mean, if, I mean, chapter 14 itself is that like Michigan State 22 play drive against Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game, which took like three days to write from like the film and writing it and stuff like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, people have liked it and there's definitely, you know, a market for that. And there's, you know, another message and just another example of trying something different, trying something new. Like, you know, how many people have written books that break down one drive from one week of the college football season? Well, I th I'm pretty sure the answer is one. Like, yeah. I don't think anybody else has done it. Um, so if you've got, like, a vision like that, whatever it is, whatever it is you might want to do that's football-related, not football, just give it a shot. I mean, it's you can publish a book on your own and put it up there and tweet about it and people will buy it. And that's kind of what's happened with 17 Drives. And it's been incredible to see and – you know, like Alex Kirby wrote some nice words about it the other day, which I was very appreciative for. And again, in this community of people that are willing to share good work, if you do something like that and put it out there, people will read it and people will buy it and people will talk about it. And, you know, you see that all the time with draft guides and, you know, reception perception, which is a great product, which, you know, people should be reading. People should be sharing that stuff. And they do, because if it's good, people will share it. And that's the way this is all kind of spun out. Yeah, you make a good point about just doing it. Like, I yeah. feel like that's another thing that gets said pretty much every podcast. Like, 
I promise you that if you have an idea that you think is interesting, there's at least one other idiot out there that has that idea, you know, and I don't yeah. say, I don't, well, I mean, I don't say idiot to be condescending or, but, but one of my point is like, if you find something interesting, there's someone else that finds it interesting about, about the game of football in particular. So whatever your idea is, just do it. And like, what's again, another point, like, you know, again, what's, what's the worst? worst thing happen? Happen? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, maybe I put reception perception out there and everybody's like, don't care and all right just move on and try another yep. idea like there's no you're not on a stop clock here like there's you know it, it doesn't really matter um mark kind of kind of winding down here a little bit first i want to ask you uh before i get to another question that i really want to get your get your thoughts on first so what's next like now you're at inside the pylon you've you published a book you're at a pretty a pretty stable point it looks like everything has really like Again, that risk of like leaving the, you know, leaving the, the personal job or the personal life or God, I'm sorry, mumbling, <laughs> <laughs> leaving the day job and like kind of taking that personal risk. There you go. There you uh, go. What, what's, it seems like it's all really working out well, but what's next? Well, I mean, I think, you know, trying something new is what's next. And, you know, a lot of, you know, how we've kind of gotten to this point and inside the pylon and with the book and stuff like that, there have been ideas that have worked and there have been ideas that have crashed and burned and that we've stopped doing. And when we first started inside the pylon, and I, I talked about this earlier, how we tried to gear ourselves towards a sort of Patriots readership base. Like I was doing a series called Know Your Enemy, where I broke down from a film perspective, like every single defensive player on the roster of the Pats next opponent. And these were like multi-page, like 25 video type pieces that one or two people would read a week. And it was pretty clear pretty quickly that like, it's just not worth the time. So, you know, the next, so we've had stuff that has worked, we've had stuff that has hasn't. So I think the next step is kind of writing this next book, which is going to be that book that I'm finally going to write. And it's a fiction book about sort of tangentially the game of football, but Continually trying new stuff, trying to challenge yourself as a content creator, which um, people that want to get into this, that are into this, need to continually do because, you know, eventually I can write about quarterbacks and arm talent and anticipation and timing and decision making. And yeah, that's that's stuff that, you know, is needed from year to year during draft season and things like that. But you want to keep getting better. So trying new things and see where inside the pylon goes. Like I'd love to get to a point where inside the pylon, maybe it's not on par with Yahoo or Bleach Reporter, NFL.com. I mean, I don't know if we'd ever get there, but that's what we're going to try to do. I mean, we're going to try to literally see how far we can take this and hopefully we get to some, you know, run on the echelon or on the ladder of media where we're now bringing in the next generation and the generation after that to kind of bring them along and get it to a point where everybody's, you know, making enough money where they can be happy and live a decent life at home and at work. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And if it works great, if not, if I have to go elsewhere, if I have to go back to practice in law, well, fine, but I've taken my shot and, you know, you've had on people that have, you know, got into that business and are more established in this business. And I'm kind of the in-progress model of that next wave of guys that are trying to get in. And I'm, you know, I've angled my way in there just enough where I can keep doing this and I'm grateful for it every day. And I just like everything else, you just got to keep trying to push yourself to get to that next level. Yeah, I love that. I love the idea of just not setting 
limits on yourself. Right. Like, I mean, who knows where this goes, but just keep plugging at it every day. Yeah, no doubt. So again, before we kind of close out here, Mark, like uh, one thing I want to, you know, pose to you, like hypothetically say somebody listens to this podcast and was in like a similar situation to what you were when you did, you know, leave practicing law and kind of took that risk, you know, to become like a football writer or analyst or you know, what have you, what would be like the, what would be the one thing, like if you could tell them one thing, what would it be? Like somebody, again, like kind of in your exact shoes comes to you and says, like, I heard you talk about this on Harmon's podcast. Like, what's the first thing you would say to them? I mean, it's literally something I said earlier. Like, look, you get one game. You get one drive at this thing we call life. And, you know, if you're in that day-to-day grind where it's just graded on you and it's wearing you down and you're unhappy and you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, well, there's a guy that got out. You know, there's a guy that got off the island. It is now – Maybe he's not on the mainland where he's back to shore, but he's close. Like hearing my voice, just where I was in that place. And if you are in a similar mode, like just take the risk, just roll the dice because, you know, you can always go back to that world. You know, you can always go back to that prior life if it doesn't work out. But living with regret on top of where you already are, where you're already miserable and you're unhappy. And then you add a layer of what if, what if I had taken the shot? Like that just adds another layer to it. So why not take the risk? If you're in a position like I was, not only where I was miserable, but I was lucky enough to be in a position financially and with everything else, the support system I had where I could take the risk. If you're in a similar position like that and you can do it, just do it. Just roll the dice. Just put yourself out there. Take a risk. Show, put yourself out there. Write a blog. Start a website. Start a podcast. Make videos for YouTube. Just roll the dice. Share it with people. Heck, send it to me. And maybe somebody gives you that hand up. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's Waldman. Maybe it's Rummy. Maybe it's any other of the great members of this community that will give you that hand up and help you up a little bit. Just take the shot. Like it's it's not worth waiting for. It's not worth sitting in your office and being unhappy and wondering what could be. Yeah, I think that's I think that's perfectly said. So, Mark, we're going to close out here, um, but I always give the guests, you know, one last uh, one last time to, to, to have the floor before I yank it out from under you. So anything you want to convey to the audience or or say just before we get out of here, now's the time. Speak your piece. Speak my piece. Well, I mean, first, I got to thank you, Matt, for not only for having me on, but for having this series. I think it's, you know, it is a great way of people to talk about not only the football industry, but just sort of life in general. I mean, there's so much more to life and this business than just grinding out tape and writing articles or writing fantasy articles or whatever it is that you're putting out there. There's life aspects that people sometimes need to hear for the first time or have reaffirmed for them. Um, so I, again, thanks you for this. And I mean, I guess like what I was just kind of talking about was, you know, you get life can send you down different paths. And, you know, my life plan had sent me down the path of a law firm job and working in the legal industry and all that stuff. And when you get to the point like I did, where you realize that life's sort of path doesn't mesh with where you want to be and it doesn't work for you, ask for help or get out or do whatever it is you need to do sooner rather than later. And, you know, if I could close with just one thing, it's ask for help is not a bad thing. Asking for help isn't a sign of weakness. 
Like whether it's asking for help at work, if like me, you get to a point where your mind just isn't right and you need help with that, it's not a sign of weakness to do that. If you're trying to get into this industry or any industry, asking for help or guidance from other people who are established like you, Matt, like why you started this, it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. So wherever people need help or are struggling with, seek help. It will help you. You will be better off for it. And if I could close with anything, I would close with that message. Yep. I completely think that is very well said. And uh, it, it applies a lot to, to chasing this sort of yeah. this, this journey, as far as being a football writer, if this is what you want to do or in general, just whatever it is in your life, man, like, yes, it does not hurt to ask for help. And you'll, once you do it, I promise you will probably feel better about it. But Anyways, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Mark. If you're not familiar with his work, definitely check it out at Inside the Pylon and buy 17 Drives. I'm going to do it, and it's, I'm going to read it, and it's going to be good. So I encourage everybody else to do that and follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. And for everybody that's listening, you know, I want to, again, thank you so much for uh, continuing to support the podcast. And if I can ask anything from you guys, I mean, I already asked too much anyways, <laughs> um, just to put up with me for an hour. Um, just if you could you know, rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever, or any sort of feedback that you can give me and, and help the podcast continue to get better. Um, and and support it and grow it. I, I I hope that's not too much. And you know, please consider doing that if you haven't already. It's it's been tremendous. This thing is just getting bigger and bigger by the episode, and I'm really happy with it. So I definitely want to thank you all for listening today, and I hope you learned something.